Hello and welcome back to another edition of the podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bagani, joined alongside with Arizona Coyotes TV play-by-play, Matt McConnell. Matt, how are you today? I'm doing great. If you hear a little bit of rumbling, my roof is getting redone. So I feel so bad because those guys are up in, I guess, what would be 40, 45 degrees Celsius heat up on my roof today. It's, uh, but, um, but yeah, no, it's great to be here, Michael. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, we spoke a bit off camera and uh, you told me that you had a bit of a project today that the Arizona Coyotes gave you. Uh, how did that project go? Well, it's, um, I, I've kind of done it on my own. It's, uh, I, I've decided to get into the world of podcasting, and I never thought of that. I've got a podcast that's out now. It's called Sports Booth, and it is aimed at young kids like yourself, whether you're in high school or whether you're in college or university or just starting out, uh, to give advice to the kids on how to kind of navigate the whole, uh, the whole roadway, if you will. You know, everything from, you know, why writing is important to, you know, the fit within a team, what employers are looking for, building your broadcast play-by-play base. It's all free. It's on Apple, Spotify. It's, it's on, you know, uh, uh, Radio Free. It's on, um, I'm trying to think, Google. So we're on pretty much all the big, uh, you know, the big platforms. Give it a listen because I, I think it can really help a lot of people. And I've got some stories and some guests and, and it's, it's just a lot of fun. I think it'll help a lot of young kids. Now, what sort of guests do you bring on? Uh, it, it depends. It, uh, I had a professor who's a former coordinating producer for Fox Sports. Uh, he was on the other day talking about what kids should be doing in college, how they should be getting ready in their college years for when they get out and they're looking to break into sports play-by-play or broadcasting. Uh, his name is Mark Rita. He's done Super Bowls, the British Open, the NCAA Final Four. He's done NBA Finals. Uh, so he's on one of the episodes called The College Years. And, uh, you know, so, so we'll do that. I'm going to have Dan Rusinowski on talking about building your play-by-play base. And he's the longtime radio voice of the San Jose Sharks. So we will add guests as it moves along. But I'll tell you what, if you're thinking about doing sports broadcasting play-by-play or you're right in the middle of it and you're looking for tips and some advice sports booth that's the place you got to go now with your podcast how do you get in contact with your guests well typically i do um what i'll do is a lot of times i'll do zoom meetings like this michael and then i'll just take the audio transcript and edit it up a little bit so it's uh, it's been real convenient i've uh, i've taught myself how to edit in garage band which i never thought i i would do at my age so it, it's really been a lot of fun and it's kind of given me a side project during the pandemic pandemic, uh, you know, in terms of getting my mind off of everything else and trying to occupy my time as we wait for hockey to come back. And by the way, I understand your mother is a nurse. Uh, Thank you for, please, uh, to your mother, thank you for her service and being on the front lines of all of this. Yes, I'll pass along your thank you for sure. Uh, She ends her shift at 7.30, so as soon as she gets off, I would definitely pass off your thank you. Uh, Lots of people during this pandemic have watched Tiger King Outer Banks is another hit TV show. What have you been doing besides your podcast? Oh, boy. You know what? I haven't done Tiger King, but I did, uh, I did Ozark. Oh, I heard uh, Ozark's really great. good. Yeah, Ozark was phenomenal. I'm a big Breaking Bad guy. I, I, I thought that was one of the best all time. And my wife and I, we watched uh, the show called Bosch on Amazon. It's about this detective in the L.A. Uh, Police Department, Harry Bosch, and he solves all these these murders and things. And it's probably for a little bit of the older generation. It's based off the Michael Connelly novels, but that's really good. And I've been watching a ton of Chicago PD. Like, I don't know why, but you know, that's a, that's a little bit back. And I, I like the episodes cause they're 38, 40 minutes and you can just buzz through them like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, when it's, when the episodes are short and you know, 40 minutes, it's easy to binge through them and get through a series. Oh, absolutely. Does the NASCAR or Bundesliga, since they returned, does that ever interest you? You know, I'm not a big soccer guy, but I actually watched the Bundesliga when it returned uh, because I was, I was desperate. Like I was oh, desperate. I'm pretty sure everyone was sport. or is oh, still. I mean, seriously, you give me lawn darts. I don't care. <laughs> Honestly. You know, you know uh, lawn bowling. I, you know, I'll, I'll take anything, but um, yeah, I was, I was really excited to watch the, the, um, 
the golf. Now, I thought the first week was kind of dull with, um, you know, with some of the current, you know, the young kids, uh, you know, they, they don't, I don't, I don't think they break, break free or, or really kind of chirp and, and get into it. Like what we saw with Tiger Woods. And, that was and funny. Nicholson and those guys and Brady, Brady splitting his pants. Are you oh, kidding me? Oh, that was the best part. I'm pretty sure. And then, um, you know, Charles Barkley, when I was at Turner Sports doing Atlanta Thrashers games, I, I crossed paths a few times with Barkley and he is such a personality. You know, oh, yeah. obviously he had, he had a great run here in Phoenix with the Suns, but I wish they would have had a little more Barkley. What, what do you think? Oh, yeah. Like, uh, to be fair, I only watched, uh, I'm pretty sure, clips online of it, but, like, when Barkley uh, chirped Brady and then he just sinks that shot right right after, that oh, put the bow on the present right there. That was the best. Yeah. Oh, it was outstanding. So why did you want to go into sports journalism? Well, honestly, when I got to college, I was a finance major, and I flunked out of math. <laughs> That's so, kind of ironic. So, so I, you know, I had a sports broadcast, or I had a, a sports writer uncle. He was the sports editor of a of a fair, you know, like a mid-sized daily newspaper outside of Chicago. And um, you know, I always thought I always had sports broadcasting in the back of my mind. I, I wondered, geez, you know, this would be a fun thing to get into. You go to games, you get paid to watch sports, you travel with the team and all that. And I thought it would be a lot of fun. So when I came home after my first term at Michigan State, I had failed two of three classes. The, I, I failed science, I failed math, and I got a B in English. So my grade point average was 0.75, right? So my dad is upset, my mom's upset, and my uncle that was a sports writer comes over for Christmas. So I have this heart-to-heart with him, and, and you know, I said, Uncle John, can we talk? Yeah, sure, kid, what's on your mind? Yeah, let's talk. And I said, you know, I don't think I'm going to make it in the business school because I can't get through the math, the math, you know, I, I failed math. And I've always been thinking about doing, you know, the sports journalism, the broadcasting, and I, I just wanted to get your advice. And he, you know, he kicked back and he had a, he had a scotch, right? And he takes a big old sip of his scotch and he goes, well, you know what, kid, you don't want to get 20 years down the road and say, what if? And that, that did it for me. Like, that was my moment. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go back to college. I'm going to change my major. I'm going to get involved in campus radio. I'm going to see how many Michigan State sports I can call and just start from there and see where it leads me. And it turned out pretty well. So how did you land the job with the Coyotes from there? Well, the Coyotes are my last stop of many. And um, what happened was uh, the the Atlanta Thrashers were in the process of moving to Winnipeg. I noticed you're wearing a Jets hat, uh, and that's good. You know, there's still a few old Thrashers like Brian Little uh, that are around the team, so that that's fine. But um, but I was without a team, and I was getting set to do American college football and basketball out of Atlanta, and then very quickly after the Thrashers moved, uh, the late great broadcasting legend Dave Strader he ended up leaving the Arizona Coyotes or the Phoenix Coyotes at the time to go be one of the lead guys at NBC for their NHL coverage so before you know it I got a call from from the Phoenix Coyotes then and they said would you be interested in the job so I ended up taking the job I commuted commuted back and forth uh, between Atlanta and Phoenix for the first couple of years because I wanted to make sure the, the team was stable financially and that they could get through the bankruptcy. So when all of that happened, I moved the family out here in 13, and uh, next season will be my 10th. So, you know, it's been a – Arizona's a great place to live, and, and this hockey market is really kind of a, a hidden gem in so many ways. The, the youth hockey here is great. Uh, it produced Austin Matthews, who – he wasn't born here. He was born in – California, but he grew up in Scottsdale. Yeah, so, he used the uh, rings. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Or I guess ring if you guys only have one. Well, we've got. I think we've got eight now in the valley. We the, where the Coyotes practice. It's uh, it's it's actually three sheets. But you know the other thing too, Michael is a lot of the NHL players retire here, so the kids like it. it you walk into a rink at night for a youth game and you might see Shane Doan or Derek Morris or, or um, 
all these old coyotes uh, that, that, you know, Damon Langkow, uh, you just never know who you're going to see in, in the rink because Ray Whitney, they, they all coach the kids. So these kids are getting some, you know, great coaching from these former NHL vets. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. You did, you, like you said, you did commentary on college hockey from 2005 to 2009. Uh, how different is the pace of play comparing it to the NHL? You know what, the, the pace, it's funny because college hockey, you know, obviously no league is as fast as the NHL. Yeah. So the college hockey is pretty quick. And, and from a broadcasting standpoint, the, the arenas for college hockey obviously are a lot smaller, right? So where, where you are positioned for a game in the college ranks, you might be 15 rows off the ice in a press box. I'll give you a prime example, Boston University beautiful rink but well, you're, you're literally block, right? 15 20 rows off so so since you're closer the action looks just as fast whereas you know in the nhl arenas you're you know you're halfway to mars in some of these places now oh yeah and, uh, and, it, and it definitely makes it definitely makes a difference yeah so what would be a typical game day for you well, I, um, what I like to do on a game day is my wife and I, we're early risers. We're usually up around 6, 6.30. So what I will do is I will do preparation the day before, if it's an off day. I'll do preparation in the afternoon. And then I, um, the, the actual game day itself, I'll wake up, I'll have breakfast. Usually we walk the dog down to the park and then I'll get back and I'll have about two hours where I can prepare, and then I'm off to the production meeting in the morning skate. And then when I get back from the production meeting in the morning skate, I do a, um, for our show open, I do what I call my rundown sheet, where it has, you know, what I'm saying on the cue out, what I'm, what, what the body of the open is talking about, the themes, coyotes and, and opposition, and then the bumper to break. So I put all that together. Uh, and I like to be, I like to be wrapped up and ready to go for the game about 12.30, 1 o'clock because I like to take a nap. I'm, I'm like a player. I, I'm kind of a creature of habit. You know, when you get old, you're not used to being up so late and you're calling games till 10.30 at night or whatever. So I like to take a little bit of a nap. But the preparation for me typically will start the day before. And I also like to do – I like to talk to the coaches and the players a lot on the day before too because they – you seem to have more time to, um, you know, to talk to you. They're not in a rush on game day to get out of the arena and get home. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, so, you know, you were part of the Coyotes for almost, you know, 10 years now. It's going to be 10th next year. Uh, the Coyotes were the uh, Vegas Golden Knights' first home opponent. What was that experience like? Well, that was something else. And um, we did not call the game. NBC did the game in the United States. Uh, but we went, I actually traveled with the team because I wanted to, you know, say that I had seen the first Vegas Golden Knights game and I wanted to see how, they, how their presentation was and everything. And if you recall, Michael, that was shortly after the, the tragedy, the mass shooting uh, oh, that's correct, that, yes. with the gunman at the Mandalay Bay on the, on the concert. So Vegas did a tremendous job that night. They, I would imagine they did a 180 turn or pivot from really planning a show of lights and glitter and all these crazy things to pretty much doing an intro and a show that was all about the first responders, the heroes, the nurses, the police and firemen, the survivors. Uh, it, it, it didn't have a lot to do with hockey, but I thought it was a great way to pay tribute uh, to the people that were so, um, uh, you know, so critical in that situation that evening. And I think it was one of the galvanizing factors early that brought the Vegas Golden Knights and the community together. You know, they, they're the, they were the first team in that, first pro team in that city. Uh, which, you know, I think has a galvanizing factor. But to have a tragedy like that and the support that that organization showed the community, it was something else. And there wasn't a dry eye in the place when they were going through the intros. And, and really, for that, from that standpoint, the, you know, the Coyotes ended up losing, I think, 4-2 or 5-2. They didn't have a chance. I mean, the, the emotion that night was yeah, off Yeah, it must have been hard. 
it, it was, it, I think it really was, but, but boy, did Vegas do a great job in honoring all the first responders. Yeah, like even seeing photos on Instagram, social media the night after, or, you know, I'm pretty sure the Vegas Golden Knights uh, Instagram page uploaded it probably like minutes before a puck drop. And, you know, just having the names on the ice of everyone that was affected, all the first responders, it was a tremendous job done by the team, in my opinion. Well, and I I love that. I love the connection. First of all, I think what we're finding out in this pandemic is that sports – heals without a doubt Um, yes you know in in so many ways throughout history sports has healed helped to heal and um and I think you know I thought we saw it that night too Um, and again just a tremendous job by Vegas but it also kind of showed us all too that you know there there are more things that are there there are other things that are more important than sports even though sports can can be a, a healing process and 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 a, and a factor in healing, and that's what we saw that night in Vegas. That is correct. Uh, can, can, continuing with the topic of your uh, Coyotes tenure, you were a part of the team when they last made it in the official playoffs in 2012, correct? Yes. What was that experience like? Oh, it was a highlight of my career. Um, you know, I was in Pittsburgh for three years and, and we made the playoffs every year in Pittsburgh, but that run in 2012, 2011, 2012, I honestly think Michael, and, and maybe I'm a little bit biased from, from being around the team and calling their games, but if you go back that year, um, they were banged up. They, they I don't were, think yes. they had Adrian coin available for the Western Conference Final. They were banged up on their blue line. Then the 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 hit that Dustin Brown had uh, in Game Three, I believe, on uh, Michael Roosevelt. You um, you know they they were all banged up. They they won a game, but but they ended up losing that series in five. And if they had been healthier, I honestly think. That they were gonna, that they would have run the table because if you remember that year, the New Jersey Devils kind of slid through and, and made it to the finals out of the Eastern Conference. And you know, nothing against the Devils, they they had a great run that year, uh, but they got dominated by the Kings. And I think the Coyotes would have ended up winning that series, which would have been incredible considering at the time, you know, that team was in bankruptcy, and. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of hope, but, but that team had really good veteran leadership. Adriana Coyne, Derek Morris, Ray Whitney, Shane Doan, Mike Smith was emerging as a great goaltender. In fact, his performance in the Chicago series that year uh, in game six, it's the best live performance I've ever seen of a goaltender. The, the, the Coyotes won the game 4 nothing, and at one point, uh, Chicago was out shooting them, I want to say 24-2. to two. So, I, I mean, that, that was a team of destiny. Unfortunately, their health just did not hold up. Now, speaking upon terms of bankruptcy, when you moved to Arizona, did, the, did bankruptcy ever get to your head that the team would go bankrupt? You know, it's, it's funny you mention that. Um, you know, Dave Tippett, who is the coach, who has now moved on to the Edmonton Oilers, he never let that creep into the locker room. I, I thought the coaching staff of, of Tip and Jimmy Playfair and John Anderson, I, I thought they were tremendous in, in not allowing that to be a traction. Shane Doan tells a great story. I believe it was the year before when the team was heading to Joe Louis Arena for the first playoff game, how the story came down that the team was moving and it happened right as the team was on the bus going to the arena and, and Shane got really upset, you know, because he's like, now we got to deal with this, not to mention Nick Lidstrom. And I know and, like Nick Lidstrom, the best, best that super right, and all player. the great players. So, um, but no, Dave Tibbet never allowed it in the locker room. And, and honestly covering the team, you, you never, you knew it was there, but you never thought of it. Like I, I, it was, it was kind of weird that way. You just, you, know, you thought the Coyotes were like any other team, you know, with an ownership and, and so on and so forth. But, but Dave Tippett was masterful in not letting that become a distraction. That is, that's great because you know that it's like Shane Doan said. It's one thing to now you have to focus on playing Detroit in a very hard series and if you know the Joe Lewis was very electric in the playoffs or just in a regular season game plus you now you got the bankruptcy to deal with yeah well and in 2011-12 when they made their run 
Uh, Mike Smith was the difference in the Chicago series, and he was the difference in the in the series against the Nashville Predators. Coyotes got just enough offense to, to win that series. And if you remember, uh, a couple of the Nashville Predators uh, ended up being suspended by their team for being out late at night at a bar in Scottsdale. Yeah. So, um, so the Coyotes might have gotten a little bit of a of a break there. So, um, but but no, it, it it was a great run. Uh, the wideout was in full full effect because they they brought the wideout down from Winnipeg when they when they moved here in '96, and our television ratings were off the charts. Um, it had a little bit of everything. The Rafi Torres hit on Marion Hosa in game three in Chicago in the opening round. Um, but boy, that, that was, it was just fun. And we got back after they won the series in Chicago, we flew home the next day and there must've been 700 to a thousand people waiting for us at the airport on the other side of the fence. I mean, I mean, every game was a standing room only sellout crowd. It was, it, it was, it was a highlight. I'm telling you. That is great to hear and great to share. Yeah, well, oh, sorry. It, it, for sure. No, that's okay. And sorry to interrupt. It, no, the, no, no, no worries. Was, the crowd was electric. And, um, you know, even this past year, as the team, you know, continues to get a little bit better and better, I want to say at the pause, we had had 12 sellouts on the season. So it, it's coming. You know, fans are fans out here are pretty hardy. They've been very, very loyal. And, um, you know, we'll see what see what the future holds. Now, Barrett Hayden, who is arguably the Coyotes' best prospect, was a, you know, was a flair at the uh, World Juniors this past year. Did you ever uh, stay connected with the World Juniors? Because I don't know how good the coverage is in the U.S. We have it on NHL Network, and, and I actually called the 09 World Juniors in Ottawa for NHL Network. Uh, the night that John Tavares single-handedly destroyed Team USA. <laughs> Yeah, he uh, it was. I think it was three three one USA, and then John said, "Okay, well, I'm going to take this game over." And that yep. was. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, we we watch it, and Barrett Hayton, obviously, you know, our fans know what's going on. Our, you know, they they watch it on NHL Network, and you know, Barrett Hayton, you know, he he could barely raise his shoulder, you know, and he, and oh, he yeah. scores that he scores that unbelievable goal. Uh, he is he is a talent, and you could you could see the raw ability when he got into some games this year. They they had no interest in sending sending him back to uh, uh, what the Sioux. I think he was playing in Sioux Saint Marie. Uh, you know they they wanted him to kind of you know be spoon fed along, you know be around NHL players, see what the preparation is all about play games now and then and uh, as the season went along and especially when he got back from the world juniors after his injury uh, you could tell that he was a little bit of a different player he was a little stronger he was a little more confident and you can tell the raw ability is there sees the ice really well excellent passer and I think he's going to be a pretty good player down low yeah, I must say as well, just watching his uh, highlights, he has a really good shot that he, that he sets up uh, with the power play. It's one that, you know, goalies will have to be uh, scared of, I think, because he yeah. was sniping it. Well, and I, you know, our first road trip was in Anaheim, and I remember coming down uh, the elevator to go to dinner with some of our crew, and, and the door opens and Barrett's in there, and so we share the elevator going down, and and I said, I said, how about it? You made the team, you know, and he, and he kind of gets this little grin on his face. Like, you know, he's being very modest. He, he didn't want to, you know, build it up or anything. And, and I said, you know what, now's your opportunity. Go for it. You know, now show him what you can do. And he's just a great kid. He, uh, I know his family comes from a really good family. So I'm looking forward to seeing him as we hopefully ramp up here in the not too distant future. With the Coyotes uh, ramping up, like you said, uh, they haven't made the uh, postseason since 2012. Do you think this is long overdue? I, I do. I, I do. We, um, you know, it was a once 2012. Uh, you know, once they got through that, Michael, it was it was pretty much a total teardown. Uh, you know, Shane Doan, uh, you know, did not come back. They, you know, they decided to move on from Shane. Prior to that, they traded Keith Yandel to New York. Uh, Ray Whitney had moved along in free agency to the Dallas Stars. So it was a, it was a, they were going young and they were going, um, you know, they were, they were looking towards the future. 
here's a stat for you. When the Coyotes in that 11-12 playoff, when they started the playoffs, they had about 3,500 or 3,600 man games of experience on their blue line, just out of their defensemen, right? After the Keith Yandel trade, the first game after the Yandel trade, as an entire group, they didn't have 700. Oh, wow. So they had, they had a lot of young guys back there. You know, uh, a young Connor Murphy comes to mind. Uh, you know, so, so it, it, they've done a really nice job of, of building from the back end. They've got a great goaltending duo now in Darcy Kemper and Antti Ranta. In my mind, when healthy, the best duo in the National Hockey League. And I think Kemper's numbers back that up. Uh, and they've, they've, been, they've been good on defense. They've, they've, they've paired a young kid with a veteran, you know. So uh, Jacob Chikrin and Alex Galagoski were a great pair this year. Nick Jalmerson uh, saw, saw a lot of time with, with a young player. And Nick is a pro's pro. He is as much of a pro and as good of a pro as I've ever seen. And, and you know, he, he's just he's a shot-blocking machine. Where they need to get better, they need to get better down the middle. And that's where Barrett Hayton can help this team in the future. I think John Chaka has done a phenomenal job uh, coming over in short, in such a short amount of time and building what the other GM had already in place. Well, John, you know, John is, um, I don't know if you know this or not, but John uh, could have gone to any Ivy league school in the country. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, he, he could have, you know, Harvard, Dartmouth, Princeton, Yale, you name it. Um, he is an incredible uh, uh, incredibly gifted in terms of his, uh, uh, you know, uh, in, in, in terms of um, his mindset, his intelligence. Uh, he, he's, he's done a great job and he's, he's done a, I think a terrific job at the draft. You know, he used the cap room uh, for a few years as uh, to his advantage as a weapon. Prime example, he takes the contract of Pavel Datsuk and moves up two spots as well, flips picks with the, the Red Wings, and lands Jacob Chikrin. So Jacob Chikrin is, is uh, you know, he, he's a guy knocking at the door to be a, a top 10, top 15, 20 defenseman in the league. So that's, the, you know, that's one example. He repurposed money with Chicago, uh, you know, getting a, a Nick Schmaltz. He, he made the deal with uh, and Nick Jalmerson, he, he made the deal with, with New York to get Derek Stepan and Auntie Ranta. So he's done some really, really nice things. And he took a chance with Taylor Hall. You know, now the proof there is, is, is Taylor going to come back as an unrestricted free agent? I know he loves Arizona and, and, you know, we're all hoping that he makes that decision. But it just shows that John is, is willing to take chances as well. And um, I, I agree with you. I think most of his deals have been very, very good. Now, moving back to the playoffs, like you said, uh, back in 2011-2012, the Coyotes uh, played the Predators. Uh, since they are lined up against uh, the Predators once again for this 2014 playoff format, who do you think the X Factor is? Boy, um, the X Factor for us? Well, I, you know what I think the X Factor for both teams is mindset, you know, and, and ramp up. Um, you, you've, you've had – you know, it's, you're talking about two teams that will not have played a competitive game probably in about five, six months, right? So which team is going to ramp up quicker? I think goaltending always plays a role. Uh, in terms of an X factor for us, um, boy, I, I would have to say maybe, you know, maybe the power play, maybe that's going to be an X factor. Maybe, um, you know, maybe a guy like Nick Schmaltz, who uh, is very, very streaky and can go on, you know, long streaks. Maybe he's an X factor. They absolutely need Clayton Keller and his offense if they're going to move along. And certainly Taylor Hall, you know, T Taylor's the kind of the big weapon. What kind of offense can they get from their blue line? Can Oliver ekman Larson, um, you know, regain his form? What, what is going to be the reaction of the kids? that have never played in the playoffs. You know, the, the Coyotes have some Stanley Cup champions like, you know, Nick Jalmerson, but, but they don't have a lot of uh, players that have gone deep into the playoffs. And, and I think for Nashville, you know, it's, it's obviously, you know, Pecorine, how, how good can he be? Uh, Roman Yossi, I think, is one of the best young uh, defensemen in the entire circuit. 
what can the predators do up front uh you know with guys like forsberg and the like so i think it'll be a good series i think it's going to be back and forth but you know best of five probably comes down to goaltending right yeah, without a doubt. I mean, like we like we said, I I think that X factor could be defense. Really, the Predators and the Coyotes to me seem like two great defensive teams, and it could be low scoring. Yeah, well, I think it will be low scoring. If if the goaltending is where we all think it's going to go, I, I think it will be low scoring. And and you're right, it, it'll probably come down to to the defensive side of things. You know, and, and maybe the X factor on the blue line is Nick Jalmerson and what he can do for that whole group. Now, Oliver ekman Larson was around in 2012 for the playoff run, so he's got some experience there uh, as well. And Alex Galagoski has won a Stanley Cup. So there, there's, there's a, a bit of a pedigree on, on the back end for sure. And I think that will make a big difference. Now, this past All-Star game, uh, trial player and puck tracking, uh, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I'm not. A, I, I'm going to be honest with you, Michael. I I think the league puts on a great event, in the All Star Game, and I think it, I think it's you know more for the uh, more for the sponsors and the partners, you know, the business partners to go have fun and have a great weekend. I look at the All Star Weekend as a chance to to recharge. Oh yeah, um, without a doubt. Yeah, the last the last couple of years, uh, you know, they they it's been star weekend has been kind of coupled with the bye week so it's a you know you, you get done and, and you get about a nine or ten day break so I watch I typically don't watch the skills I might watch some of the game sometimes I'm not even in town I, I might be you know out uh, you know with my wife somewhere or you know we might be doing some other things it, it, in 80 in an 82 game schedule I think we all have to get away from the rink and honestly I, I use that time to to do a lot of that well, yeah, you're on the team a lot, I would say. Uh, do you ever think the players would get annoyed of the media? Uh, you know, I think they probably do now and then. I, I think the one thing that, that the players, you know, the players, I think, need to understand when we ask them questions and they, they may look at us like, well, are you, are, why are you asking that? You, you know, you know, you know, you know, damn well what I'm going to tell you. Yeah, exactly. It, but, it, but it's not, the fans don't want to hear the answer from, from us in the media. They want to hear the players say it. So, so I think a lot of times we'll ask things to the players where we have a pretty good idea of where they're going to go with it, but they're the ones that have the credibility when being asked. Right. So, so I think that's kind of important to keep in mind. How important is it building the relationship with the players off camera? Well, it's huge. Um, you know, you got to build, you know, there's that built-in trust factor, right? And uh, I tell everybody it can take six years to build rapport and it can take six seconds to destroy it, right? So you got to be real careful with that. And, you know, I, I, I think a lot of times, um, you know, if you go off the record, you got to make sure that you're letting players know that, hey, this is off the record and you better not you better not trample on that confidence because that'll be the last time uh, they talk to you. But I think as a, I think as a play-by-play -play guy, as I, as I get older and move along in my career, I think a lot of the best conversations are the informal ones where you're just kind of hanging out, talking at a, talking at a, uh, at a locker room stall and just kind of, you know, shooting the breeze with a guy and then getting into it as opposed to having a microphone, you know, up in front of their face or, or even, you know, I like to write things down, even a notebook with a pen, you know, an open notebook, I think they, their guard comes up a little bit. So there's a lot of times where I'll just have a conversation. And then when I'm done, I'll kind of go around the corner and I'll summarize it because I, I'm not a, I'm not a newspaper guy, so I don't need quotes. I just need to get the general idea of, of, of what the conversation was all about. Do you ever get bored of the uh, reruns that the NHL is putting on? I wish there was more classic, you know, I, I don't think, um, I, I don't think a game from two or three years ago is necessarily a classic. Like yeah. when I think of a classic, I think St. Louis, Boston in 1970, or I think, you know, of the night in Chicago stadium when Jacques Lemaire beat Tony Esposito from center ice, you know, or, and, and that's just because I'm a little bit older. Uh, for sure. But uh, no, I think, I think it's fun to watch them. I, I, I think it's fun to, to, as a broadcaster, learn 
because, you know, in the United States, you're, you're probably listening to Doc Emmerich, or you might be listening to somebody like Chris Cuthbert, who I think is over the top, wonderful to listen to. He is, he's a tremendous talent. And I think it's important, you know, to sometimes you can pick up on what the analyst is saying. Ray Ferraro uh, was with him in Atlanta in the Thrasher's years. He sat a row behind me on the plane. I think Ray Ferraro has become a top three analyst in the entire league. So, um, so I think there's always, they're fun, but I always think there's an opportunity maybe to learn something. Yeah, I think there is as well. Like, you know, players could use this as tape possibly. And then, you know, with play-by-play, you could also use this as practice because, you know, you can mute the TV and just go over, go over it yourself as a fun mm-hmm. way of doing it to stay, you know, in shape. Well, I'll give you an example. Real good lesson, um, John, it's, right, J.D.? When he was doing the games for Fox and I was in Pittsburgh, there was a big question mark of whether or not Darius Kasparaitis, the defenseman, was going to play because he had fallen on his head in Montreal and there was a big question mark of whether or not he was going to be ready to play the, in the playoff game. Well, in the playoffs, as you know, teams are ultra guarded when it comes to the information. So we're up in the we're up in the broadcast area and, and we're we're talking. And he said, "Do you have any idea if Casparitis is going to play today?" And I said, "You know, I said, John, I was I was around the team yesterday. We're all trying to find out. We we couldn't, you know, they weren't telling us anything." And he goes, he goes, "Well, I think he's going to play." And I go, "Really? You know, have you heard something?" He goes, "Well, no, it sticks on the bench." I go, sticks on the bench. He goes, yeah, come over. Come over here. So he takes me into the Fox booth, and he hands me his binoculars. And he looks, you know how they bring the sticks out beforehand and set them up behind the bench? He goes, he goes just scan down all the sticks, and you'll find one that says cast. And, and sure enough, he played. Like, that, I would have never thought to take a binocular and, and look at the sticks, right? Well, there, John, there's your answer. Right. John being a pro, that's one of the first things he did. He got up to the broadcast booth. He looks down, he sees a stick, and it says Darius Kasparitis. Now, I, I know players at times will, you know, use other players' sticks and things like that. But um, I would have never thought about that in a million years. So lessons, that was a good one for me. Yeah, that that is a great uh, lesson to be uh, shared, uh, definitely by someone who's been in the industry for quite some time. But if if, if somebody sees this, then they're going to stop doing that, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when the NHL does come back, how are you going to adjust to being two feet away or, uh, you know, with the no fans in the stands? Yeah, well, the chances are with, with um, when we come back, uh, I would imagine we're going to be calling the games from a studio in a remote location. I would be really surprised if, um, you know, if I travel with the team or any of the broadcasters travel with the team, whether it's in Vegas or Edmonton or Vancouver or LA or, you know, whatever city they choose to, to go to. Uh, so we'll be in a studio. We'll be wearing headsets with, with the Nats being fed to us and we'll be calling the games off the monitor. One, one idea we had was to maybe call the games from our home booth at Gila River Arena and have the game put up on the big scoreboard, right? Because it's oh. massive. And use that as our main, uh, as our, as our main uh, uh, monitor. So we're, we're kind of working through those things. It, it'll, it'll definitely be strange. Uh, but I, I think what you're going to probably see is, you know, chances are you're going to have a, what they call a world feed. And so, you know, let's say it's in Vegas or Edmonton or wherever, um, you'll have a, um, you'll have a world feed come out of there that all of the teams in that hub will end up using for their television. And you'll, you know, you'll have the means of being able to put your own graphics, your own, um, promos and things like that into the show but I think that's where we're headed this year Uh, and then hopefully once fans are allowed back into the stadiums the broadcasters will be able to go into the stadiums and travel with the teams as well it's certainly an unprecedented situation and I don't think the league's preference necessarily is to have six different broadcast teams in one arena you know it, it just it goes against everything they're trying to eliminate that that would be counterproductive as to what they are trying to help with sure 
Now, Iowa State came out and said that they are having 50% fans. Uh, they're only having the season ticket holders uh, going to their games. What do you make of that? Well, I, I think the Steelers came out with that too, didn't they? The Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm they not said too sure. I just uh, read yesterday that Iowa State's having 50% fans. Yeah, I, I, I could see that. Um, you know, the, the, the next hurdle in a lot of ways, Michael, is if you reduce capacity in your arenas – and then you, on your ingress and egress, you know, in arenas, if you're going to, to have people socially distance themselves by six feet, then challenge becomes, how do you get all those people into your arena in a very short period of time? And then at the end of the game, you know, how would it, how would it work? Uh, in terms of getting everybody out when it's kind of a mad dash to get out of the arena. So, you know, I was on a, I was on a conference, uh, I was on a, a Zoom with the Michigan State Communication Arts and Science program earlier today with a couple of other uh, people from the industry, and we were talking about that very, very thing. How do you, you know, how do you get fans in and out? How do you make it safe? And I do think the one one good thing out of all of this that, that the leagues have for uh, themselves is they have a long ramp-up period, right? So let's say the NHL play remainder of the season, you know, the playoffs or whatever, with no fans, then chances are our, our next season isn't going to start to November or December. Ideally, that's when the fans would come back, right? So So teams have pretty much from now till, you know, maybe November or December – to figure out ways in which they can safeguard the fans and their, um, you know, and their health and their well-being. The other thing too, and I'm sure your mom uh, is well aware of this, uh, the fact that she's a nurse, is uh, psychologically, you know, the fans are going to have to feel as if they are safe to come back to the arenas. You know, in Arizona, the restaurants are open now, but I don't necessarily you know, feel safe about going into a restaurant that has a lot of people in it. So, so psychologically for me, you know, I'm not there yet. Well, it's probably going to be the same with sporting events. The fans are going to want to make sure and, and be, be um, assured that by attending the event, they're going to be okay. Yeah, you know, it must be very, like, nerve-wracking going into a restaurant because you don't know how sanitary it is. Like, you know that, you know, going through your head that it has to be sanitary, the tables have to be wiped down and all that stuff. Uh, but even still going into the restaurant, you don't know if that's, you know, what they're go doing, you know? Well, and I, I kind of feel that way, too, on um, on the takeout a little bit. You know, you, you walk into the restaurant, you know, are, are the people – you know, this is kind of gross, but are the people uh, properly preparing your food? Have they been washing their hands? All, all that kind of stuff. And I'll leave it at that. Uh, but yeah, you, you wonder about that. You wonder about, um, you know, the guy in the arena that, you know, you're walking to get, you're waiting in line to get a beer or a hot dog. And all of a sudden a guy behind you sneezes. Yeah. You know, so, so it's all sorts of things like that, that they're, they're, they're going to have to figure that out uh, before we all come back in mass. Now, did anything surprise you from Bettman's press conference yesterday? No, not really. I, you know, I've, I've got a lot of admiration for Gary. I, I, I think he is a tremendous commissioner. And, you know, and I thought he was, I thought it was really good in that he, he didn't tie any dates to the return. You know, he, he outlet, he, he, or he, um, he outlined phase two. Uh, I looked at all the, I looked at the memo on all the pages. Uh, with with phase two online I, I think it's a great plan it's a great concept um but i i thought it was really good that he kind of left the dates open so no not, nothing really surprised me i you know the one thing i'm a little bit disappointed in is you know the first round of games there i guess we're going to be calling it a qualifying round so it's not yeah. really a playoff round um, you know, because I think they want to keep that integrity of 16 playoff teams. And I get that. But I was a little bit disappointed because how do you sell that to the fans? You know, are, are the Arizona Coyotes really in the playoffs for the first time since 2012? Or technically, do they have to beat Nashville to then be in the playoffs? You know what I'm saying? So yeah. those, are, those are picky little things. Um, you know, I think records, there's going to be a big question about records and, and how all that works. But, um, 
he the stewards his his stewardship of the league uh gary bettman and, and bill daly and all those guys uh, everybody coming together the pa uh it you know it I, I think it i think it bodes well for the future and it's it's great to have that kind of leadership they i think they've done a phenomenal job and i think as well to your point with the whole dates and stuff i think if you were to announce dates it would almost be prematurely because nothing is guaranteed Nothing is guaranteed, and and that's the thing. You know, how do you how do you announce hubs right now when you don't know if there's going to be a flare up in that city? Is, exactly. Is there, you know, so so he was real smart to leave that kind of open, uh, and they continue. I'm sure they continue to monitor all of that, and uh, you know, I, we'll we'll know where the hub cities are soon enough, and and certainly when when training camps open, the guys will be ready to go. And I'm sure they'll they'll know where they're going by then. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, so Benman did announce yesterday that the uh, regular season has officially concluded. That would give Alex Ovechkin his ninth Maurice Richard trophy. Do you think his number deserves to be uh, retired league-wide? Well, uh, league-wide. I'm, so, I'm, I'm not so sure about league-wide. Um, I'd have to give that one a thought. But uh, uh, certainly it will go to the rafters at uh, – in, in Washington, he'll go straight to the Hall of Fame. He's a he's as pure of a goal scorer. And and what I love about him is he is an entertainer. Um, I, I love his personality. He kind of lets it fly. He well, has he let it fly when the Caps won the Cup. We know that for sure. Yeah, and and he he knows how to let it fly. Right. He's he's kind of a I think in a way he's kind of a media darling. Uh, so no, he, he's great. He is great entertainment. Bottom line. Michael, we're we're here to sell entertainment, and we're here to sell an escape, and and you know maybe sports at a at a certain point of someone's life takes their mind off something that's a lot more important. Uh, but but he, I, I wish we had fifty Ovechkins in the league because I think his personality is is tremendous. Who do you think should be the second player ever to have their jersey retired league wide? That is. Uh, well, I'm. I'm partial to Mario Lemieux. Um, you know, he, he was, you know, Mario was just unbelievable. Uh, a, a tremendous player. Uh, you know, my, my in-laws live in Pittsburgh, right? And so my brother-in-law one time told me, he goes, hey, he goes, it was a joke, right? Yeah. He said, hey, do you know what they call Wayne Gretzky in Pittsburgh? And I said, no, I have no idea. And he looked at me and he said, the good one. <laughs> Because of Lemieux, right? Yeah, you know. So, um, but no, I, I don't. I, I would say maybe Mario. I mean, I think it's pretty special with Wayne, and and I think we're doing this podcast, and I'm here in Arizona because of Wayne, because I got my start in Anaheim, and I don't know if Anaheim would have ever happened had Wayne not gone from Edmonton to Los Angeles in 1989. So, um, yeah, that, that's something to think about. But uh, but Alex, Alex is certainly in the conversation, but uh, I'd, I'd be partial to Lemieux. So I asked Daryl Evans, uh, LA Kings alumni, about where he was when uh, Gretzky got traded. Where were you when you got – or where were you when Gretzky got traded? Well, I just wrapped up a season in the International Hockey League in Peoria with the Rivermen. They were the Blues Farm team at the time. And I was actually getting out of the business. I uh, decided to leave Peoria and go back into sales. And I was uh, staying with my mom and dad. I moved back. They, they lived outside of Chicago. And I used uh, some employment agencies up there, some headhunters to uh, network with. And I remember it was, what, August the 9th, right? And it was about a month before I went to work uh, for, a, for a company back in the sales world. And I couldn't believe it. And then to see kind of some of the behind-the-scenes uh, uh, stuff about how it went down on Ken Dryden's uh, video series called Home Game, which was, you know, kind of tied in with the Home Game book. And if you ever have a chance, uh, look at some of those episodes on, on YouTube. But they had the whole episode about the Wayne Gretzky trade, and it was amazing. Um, I, I met him in a preseason game one time. Uh, the Blues were playing Edmonton in Indianapolis. And of course, he broke in with the Indy Racers and the old WHA and played a couple of months there and, and then was off to Edmonton. But um, what a talent. 
uh, obviously connected to the Coyotes organization uh, for many years, including as a coach. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that day changed everything when it came to the Sun Belt. That is for sure. Now, last question here on the PayCast. Uh, do you have any aspiring, do you have any advice for aspiring journalists? Well, you know, the, the, the podcast I've gotten broken down, and again, it's called Sports Booth, and I highly recommend it for anybody in high school, college, or just beginning your career. Um, some, you know, we've got great topics like what you need to do during college, why it's important to take chances early in your career, you know, how important is it to fit into an organization about getting the job? about conducting interviews and, and like what we talked about earlier, Michael, building rapport with athletes. How do you build your base? How do you prepare for games? Do you need an agent? What about building contacts around, uh, around sports? Um, you know, being, working for a team, being uh, kind of a liaison to your, to your, uh, to your business partners. Uh, maybe the athlete's angle. Uh, what athletes expect from us? you know, what they think is fair. So we've got five episodes in the can. Uh, I just, uh, we, we just got clearance. We're now on, uh, on the Apple uh, uh, podcast. Uh, we're, do, we're on Google, we're on Spotify, uh, Radio Free, Breaker, uh, Anchor is another one. So, you know, the first is a very quick five minute introduction episode uh, of what we're trying to accomplish. And then we get right into it. We'll have guests from around the world of sports, a lot of play-by-play -play guys, some people behind the scenes. You know, another episode, why is it so important to fit in with the group, uh, like your production group, the guys in the truck, the men and women in the truck? So it's, it's called uh, Sports Booth. And again, check it out. It's free. There's no charge, nothing. And uh, if you love it, uh, leave us feedback at uh, pxpquestions at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Matt McConnell, the Coyotes TV play-by-play -play for coming on the podcast today. All right. Thanks a lot for having me, Michael, and good luck with your, uh, with your cast. Thank you.